Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in Giants fans, episode 164 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague Daryl Slater as the Giants now in the midst of a four-game losing streak return home to take on the Dallas Cowboys Monday night at MetLife Stadium. And of course, there are some big changes that were made heading into this game as well. We'll break it all down. Daryl, certainly the news of the week is the trade for Leonard Williams, the first ever trade consummated and actually the went through between the Jets and the Giants in the history of these two franchises. And Williams is a guy who's going to step in and play right away against the Cowboys, a team that he's already faced earlier this year. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, obviously we knew Leonard Williams, uh, those of us who pay attention to the Jets, which is most of the folks around here, uh, knew that he would be on the trade block uh, coming into uh, this trade deadline uh, because he is a pending free agent. So that was going to be part of this, but we, we, couldn't have predicted necessarily that he would wind up with the Giants, but here he is, and uh, there's certainly going to be implications for this Giants team, not just in the short term, because they're a 2-6 and six team, so you're not giving up a third and a fifth round pick for a half-season rental of no. this guy. They really want him to be a long-term part of their organization, so I think it'll be interesting to see whether he can... Uh, make himself into more of a productive pass rusher than he was with the Jets. As, as we wrote, as I think we both wrote, the, the problem with the Jets is he didn't have a, a legitimate enough edge rushers to pull double teams away from him. That's probably going to be a problem with the Giants. Yeah, I think so as well. Before we get into all that little bit of housekeeping, of course, if you like what you hear, we would love if you would subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. Leave us those five-star reviews. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. You can rip us if you want to, too. <laughs> we're, we're all about that. We're both on Twitter. He's at Daryl Slater. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And we're used to taking shots from from the peanut gallery and the trolls. So as long as you leave those five stars, we'll take whatever the criticism <laughs> that you, you want to leave us. Leave the five stars, but then just write a screed in the in the comments. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> it helps us grow the show. Let us know what you like, any guests that you might want to have us try to get on. And, uh, of course, you can also check us out on YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and all your favorite podcast platforms such as iHeartRadio and Google Play. And now that that's out of the way, Daryl, I think that the biggest takeaway from this trade is if they wind up re-signing him, and it's probably going to cost somewhere in the area of $10 million a year and a four-year deal, and the Giants have the first right to do that from now until the end of the, the league year and up, up until that first day of free agency in March, then the Giants wind up giving up a third and a fourth round pick. That fifth rounder in 2021 becomes a fourth rounder. But that's a price that you want to pay if you're giving up this much draft capital because, as you pointed out, if you're two and six, there's no upside to trading for Leonard Williams as an eight-week rental. So you look at this defensive line potentially with Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence as your your big three. 
there's some potential there, but you have to go into this knowing that you might have just given those draft picks away and him walking to a contender or a team that can outbid you in March. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing that says Leonard Williams has to re-sign with the Giants. Exclusive negotiating rights just means that a team has the exclusive ability to negotiate with the player. The player doesn't is under no obligation to re-sign with that team. So why wouldn't Leonard Williams not want to hit free agency? Right. I mean, he hasn't dealt with injuries in his career. That's not an issue for him. You, know, you saw a guy like Quincy Anunwa with the Jets, who, as it turned out, very wisely signed that contract with him at the end of last season because, unfortunately for him, he had the neck injury uh, that could threaten his career early this season, which is obviously a terrible thing for him. But he got paid at the end of last year, and he's a guy who had had a history of injuries. Uh, but Leonard Williams does not have that. So if Leonard Williams goes out here and balls out for the rest of the season – why would he not want to test free agency? Remember, uh, the Monday and Tuesday before the Wednesday start of free agency, players have the ability to go out, take the offers, uh, measure all offers across the board that they get. The Giants, I'm sure, will offer him some kind of contract before that, but it would be completely insane for him yeah. to take that contract without measuring it against other offers. I mean, it's it's basic, like, if you it's, it's just basic uh, human professional... A way of doing things in any line of work. So it is a risk. And, it and is the Giants have to risk. hope that he fits in well with the culture and is a scheme fit. And I think there's a lot of similarities with what James Betcher does compared to the system that he played in with Todd Bowles and the Jets. But they have to hope that he doesn't go out there and get four sacks in the second half of the season and play well. Because then all of a sudden, teams that are looking to bolster the talent along their defensive line, who might be in a position to offer more money, might give him a better chance to win a Super Bowl in the near term, will probably be in a position to offer the kind of contract that forces the Giants to overpay. And everybody talks about the cap space the Giants have, and while that's all true, before you factor in moving on from Eli Manning and some of the other changes, potentially releasing Janoris Jenkins and some other moves that you can make to free up cap space, they're only middle of the road with about $64 million in cap space. You're going to have to to dedicate a significant chunk of that to Leonard Williams and lock him up long-term after you made this trade. There is, well, I'm sure there's more than one, but there's definitely one team we know that the Giants won't be competing against, you know, for a hunt for a pass rusher and potentially Leonard Williams, and that's the Jets. Yes. So you can rule them out. Uh, but there will be other teams. I mean, you all got teams always end up overpaying in free agency. Always. That's just how it works. And Leonard Williams, even though he uh, isn't, you know, he's a pending free agent, obviously, but technically he has the ability to go out there and get those offers, and why would he not do that? And the Giants are in a situation where, and this is good leverage for Leonard Williams, if he plays well down the stretch, he can weigh their offer against other offers, and he can say to the Giants, look, hey, you, you guys gave up a third and a fifth for me. Do you really want to just throw away a third and a fifth? Um, why don't you boost that offer a little bit more? Yeah. Why don't you pay me uh, instead of uh, a million more than what this other team paying how about two million more so he can hold their feet to the fire on this a little bit because uh the Giants so the Giants did give up some leverage I think from the Giants perspective here and it would be interesting to hear what Dave Gettleman has to say about this he has not talked to reporters since the second day of training camp there are no plans for him to be available to reporters he did talk to the Giants team website one of his co-workers uh here today about uh in a story that was published today uh about you know, what he likes about the Leonard Williams trade. There's nothing revealing in there, just that he no. wants to sign Leonard Williams long-term. But it would be interesting to press him on this and say, why do you, why the need to bring this guy in now? Why not just go after him in free agency? Right. I think the hope here, just reading, you know, the tea leaves, is that the Giants hope that he can come in here and become familiar with them and really like what's going on here, really like the setup, really like this defense. Bottom, uh, James Betcher might get fired after this season, so it might not be the same defense. But uh, I think that that's got to be the hope, that he that – he, 
develops a fondness for the organization. And I think that that's a tough sell when you look at a team that since Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer have been here, they're 7-17. and 17. So, so it's not like this is a team that's competing for championships in the near term, and there's a lot of young talent here. And I, I know we're critical of Gettleman and Shermer for a lot of things, and you look at the draft classes that Gettleman has brought in the last two years, and I think that it's safe to say that another draft class and a strong year in free agency, you can make a case the trajectory of this franchise with Daniel Jones is pointed upwards. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's it's a slam dunk that Leonard Williams re-signs here just for the sake of the fact that he lives in New Jersey and he played with the Jets and now he's playing for the Giants. So no, they've opened themselves up to some criticism here. That they opened themselves up to potentially forfeiting assets for, for no reason whatsoever. They could have easily gone out and if they believe Leonard Williams is the type of player that they should overpay for and pay $12 million a year for, they could have made that offer in, in March when the, during the legal tampering period without giving up these draft picks. So th- yep. there's a lot to digest there. There's a lot to talk about in terms of his scheme fit. And the sack number is one thing. He's not a guy that has been able to get after the quarterback. But I, I spoke to several scouts and several coaches across the league, including one of his former coaches, who told me that, listen, the three, four defensive ends who get – you know, big sack numbers are in schemes where it's dictated and dedicated to the three, four defensive ends pressuring the quarterback. And that's not necessarily what he was asked to do with the Jets. So if he's asked to do that here, maybe you see that production uptick. Maybe he benefits from what Dexter Lawrence has been able to do as a rookie, you know, drawing double teams and getting after the quarterback and stopping the run. Maybe that helps Lawrence, you know, Leonard Williams. But it's going to be fascinating to watch what he's able to do in this new front with this new scheme. Yeah, I think it, it will be. It, it's really interesting for him because he's a guy who's done done things right. I and mean, He's a conscientious player, works hard, not a lot of problems off the field, but the results just haven't been there for whatever reason, be it the scheme, be it the lack of talent around him, or be it really potentially his own shortcomings as a pass rusher and maybe a guy who can just stop the run. So here's an opportunity for him down the stretch with a team that doesn't have a lot of elite edge rushers, and so it's the similar problem to the Jets, for him to kind of prove himself. But uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see how he does. Yeah, and of course his first... First game comes Monday night against the Dallas Cowboys, and the Jets just recently beat Dallas at MetLife Stadium, so it's a team that he's studied, that he's familiar with, and you know, you bring him in here this week, and obviously he has a chance to go into meeting rooms and film study and talk to Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson and B.J. Hill and some of the other players on defense about what this Cowboys team does well, how to defend them, and I think that's going to be fascinating to watch on Monday. Uh, What's going to be different about this defensive line this time around from the group that went into Arlington and couldn't even breathe on Dak Prescott. I mean, you think back to week one, Daryl, I remember writing a story going into the Bills game the second week where there were only seven or eight teams across the league that blitzed more frequently in the opener than the Giants did, and yet they didn't sack Dak Prescott. So they had to do something a little bit differently against Josh Allen and, and, and you know pressure him without blitzing because he was so good against the blitz. But you wonder if adding Leonard Williams into this is going to make all that much difference against this Cowboy team that the offensive line just dominated the line of scrimmage against the, the Giants front last time around. One of the best offensive lines in the league and really an offensive line that is teams like the Jets and Giants who have offensive line issues can look to as a blueprint and say, man, the Cowboys did this the right way. They drafted and developed these guys. They drafted linemen high. Uh, and you talk about some of the you know some of the talent on that line. And it's pretty remarkable what the Cowboys have done there. And of course, it's one thing drafting linemen high and another thing hitting on that. Right. <laughs> Eric Flowers. So um, the Giants and Giants fans know well. So um, yeah, I think that it'll, it'll be... Uh, a good test for Daniel Jones, who's got six starts under his belt now. 
who's got uh, a chance to face this uh, Cowboys team. I mean, obviously he prepared for them in week one. He played a little bit, but, you know, not, not, not really. Five snaps or yeah. snow, but, but the, the game was already out of hand by much the time he came situation, in. But he's, he's further along now, and uh, let's see what this offense can do with a full complement of players, too, which I'm sure we'll get to, but the big foursome for yeah. the Giants uh, will be out there. Yeah, it's a good time to jump into that because as of Friday when we're taping the podcast, Sterling Shepard hasn't officially been cleared from the concussion protocol, but he's practiced in full the last two days. He's been out there. He's had uh, the full contact practice that is one of the hurdles that you need to clear to get out of the protocol. That happened on, I believe, Tuesday, Wednesday, the first day back after the game last week. And and listen, we've both written about this. I did the video with our photographer Andy Mills last week talking about it, the fact that up to this point, the Giants hadn't had all four of their offensive weapons on the field, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, Golden Tate, and Sterling Shepard, there's a good chance that changes on Monday night because all it now takes, I believe, is Sterling Shepard to see the independent neurologist and get cleared to play. And if that happens, obviously it's a much different offense than the one that hit, took the field in the opener, and it's certainly a lot different than the one that we've seen at any other point this year. A lot to get into there. Do you ease Sterling Shepard back? Is he suddenly the number one wide receiver again? What happens to Darius Slayton's role after he's kind of emerged the last couple weeks and had two touchdowns against the Lions, but certainly it will be a much different offense if Shepard is out there with Barkley and Ingram and Tate, which I think as of now, you have to believe the expectation is. Yeah, for sure. It seems like he'll be cleared here uh, as we sit here talking Friday, uh, you know, potentially tomorrow for the Monday night game, and uh, remarkable that this is the ninth game of the season, the start of the second half of the season, and the big four, Ingram, Barkley, uh, Tate, and Shepard has not played a single snap together on the field, and uh, and Tate and, and Shepard have only played one game together, uh, the, the Vikings game in Week 5 when Tate came back from his suspension for performance-enhancing drugs. So uh, it'll be uh, a, a really, <coughs> excuse me, a really interesting uh, storyline here for Daniel Jones. It should give him a lot more confidence. It should be able to loosen things up in terms of giving the Giants the ability to spread out the defense a little bit more, potentially loosen things up in the running game. That was one of the things some of the guys in the locker room talked about uh, this week, about uh, giving more opportunities for Saquon Barkley in the running game, because now teams have to respect not only Golden Tate out on the edge, and not only Evan Ingram, but also uh, Sterling Shepard. So this is, the, this is the Giants offense that they planned on having. Yep. The Giants don't have a single player on their injury report right now in terms of a guy who was limited or didn't practice. Uh, we just saw the injury report a little while ago uh, uh, here on Friday, and there were the two guys were on it, Corey Ballantyne and Sterling Shepard. Both have concussions. Both are still technically in the protocol, but both practice fully here on Friday, which is really like a Thursday before a Sunday game. So the final injury report comes out tomorrow, and the Giants will have all their inactives should likely be healthy scratches on Sunday. So that this, this is the Giants team obviously minus IR guys, in full, especially on offense. And now it's time, as the second half of the season starts, to start producing a little bit, especially these last – I mean, Dallas on Monday and then the Jets uh, uh, at the Jets – uh, before the bye week. And it's Huge. rather remarkable. I mean, we can talk about guys who landed on IR like Corey Coleman before the year even began. And uh, obviously on defense, you lose Ryan Connolly for the year with a torn ACL, a guy who started in week two and was playing at a high level before he got hurt against the Redskins. But you, you think about being nine weeks into the season and everybody's fully healthy. Uh, again, you look at the record, it's two and six. You look at what happened on Sunday, you know, you, the comeback bid falls short and obviously four losses in a row is suboptimal and falls behind early is a worrisome trend for this team, but just from a, a baseline health standpoint, 
it's rather remarkable that this late into the year you have a relatively clean injury report with everybody practicing in full who's on the 53-man roster. Yeah, for sure. And and I think there's no more excuses. Not that they were making excuses, the Giants weren't. But, I mean, four straight losses now for this team. And you're talking about the last couple weeks where they lost winnable games in Detroit and then certainly that one at home against the Cardinals. Uh, is the Monday night game against the Cowboys a winnable game? I mean, the Cowboys have looked uh, you know, flawed to a degree this season. I think that this is a game that you know, Giants fans should not be surprised if they win. They're not favored to do so, right? Uh, technically right. not. Um, and I, you know, I, don't I think they're about a touchdown underdog. Yeah, is that, is, so I think it's a seven-point so line. The yeah. talent disparity is is significant, and then they lost the first game big time. So, you know, you get that, but I mean, you'd like to see this giant team start a little bit faster. I think is the, is the issue um, because you. The last two games the Giants have gone in to halftime down four points and three points or three points and four points, whatever it was, and they failed to close it out in the second yeah. half. They're not getting blown out in the first half. But, but they're, they're falling behind earlier. They, they fell yes. behind 17 yes. nothing against the uh, Arizona Cardinals. I believe it was 14 nothing against Detroit. That's something that needs to change. And obviously you talk about the freak play when Daniel Jones was sacked and the ball popped out and it was returned for a touchdown. Those things happen, but, but you still – need to be able to put together a sustained drive. And you think back to the opener, the one thing that they did really well in that game is they put together a scoring drive on the opening possession, went down and took a 7 nothing lead. If they can do that again on Monday night, and I'm not saying that that's going to change the complete outcome of the game, but it's one of those things that works in your favor that you're not constantly playing from behind. And when you fall behind by two scores or more, Darryl, that kind of takes you out of what you like to do. The Giants, they weren't built necessarily, especially now with a rookie quarterback as well as Jones has played and throwing four touchdowns on the road last week was certainly impressive. They weren't built to be a team that throws the ball 30, 35 times a game. They, they were built to ground and pound with Saquon Barkley, hit the intermediate routes, go and get yards after the catch, and it's a lot easier to do that in an even game or being up or down 7 nothing than it is throwing your way out of it from a 14 or 17 nothing hole after the first quarter. It's a lot to ask for a young quarterback to do that, you know, to, to make that uh, to make the most out of a situation where you're not uh, you're not playing from ahead and, and you're having to play from behind and throw your way out of it, as you said. So uh, there's a lot that goes into a team becoming a winner uh, and the Giants still have not got not gotten over that hump in terms of being able to finish winnable games. And you talked about, I wrote it off the game last week in Detroit talking about closing out wins. And some people said, well, uh, how do they close the win if they weren't, they weren't leading, but it's, you know, what we're getting at here is this team is in games, right? They're in games and they have to be able to come out and produce better in the second half than they have the past couple of weeks. And we said it all along. I mean, we said it last time in this podcast that um, these four games before the bye week Cardinals at home, uh, Lions on the road, the Cowboys at home, and you've road, already lost two, and and Jets at home. Those were this is the litmus test. This is a four game litmus test stretch before the bye week. I mean, it's not Vikings and then Patriots on a short week. These are games where the Giants should be able to show a little bit more and show the type of progress that John Mara said that he wanted to see. Second half of the season, time's running out to show that progress. I still and we talked about Pat Shermer on the hot seat. And we don't need to get into it again, but I, I still think he's you know he's relatively safe, but. The progress needs to be more evident. Right? Yeah, I, I think that you need to win one of these next two games. No because, doubt. Because oh, if, if yeah. you if you lose to the Jets, oh, yeah. who are in Miami this Sunday, if you lose to the Jets next week and you go into the bye doomsday scenario and 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 possible scenario at two and eight, I said it last time on the podcast and I stand by it. I think it fast tracks some conversations within that building about Pat Shermer's future because you can't just rely on Daniel Jones. And I think that Jones has improved. And I think there was a lot to like with how he bounced back from the adversity last week, the early turnover, throwing four touchdowns, putting together some sustained drives against the Lions. 
But if you're two and six, two and eight rather, and one of those losses is to the Jets, who have just become a three-ring circus after the bye week, with all of the conversation about Jamal Adams and all of the drama and, and all of the speculation, even about Adam Gase's future and the lack of, you know, noticeable progression from Sam Darnold, if you lose to that team. I, I think it starts to get pretty difficult not to think that Shermer is on the hot seat. Sure. I mean, you're talking about that would be six straight losses going into the bye week after two and two, after um, Daniel Jones winning his first two starts and to go into the bye week at two, you know. If they, I don't care if the Jets win 117 to nothing in Miami this week. If the Giants <laughs> lose to them in that game before the bye week, it's a bad loss. Anyway, yeah. And really, you could probably say, uh, it would be a bad loss for the Jets to lose to the Giants too. Yeah. But but let, let's be honest. I mean the Giant the, the Giants have played better than the Jets this year. Not a high bar to clear there. But and I think um, you can make the case had, that there's more talent on the Giants oh, roster. And we're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves here because you still have to play a game too, on Monday night. With injuries too, and the Jets have dealt with some major injuries for sure. Too. And Darnold with the mono kind of being at top of the list there. Um, but you just look at this roster and you look at how they're underperforming. But I still say this that another draft class and a strong crop of free agents. If Pat Shermer is back, and, and, and again, he's going to have to start winning games for that to be the case. He has now, I believe, it's uh, the seventh losing his record in all of NFL history in terms of winning percentage. If Dave Gettleman and Shermer are back next year, um, there's no reason why next year you can't think about competing because of Daniel Jones and because of what we've seen from some of the young players they've drafted. Yep. I mean, I, there's really nothing to add to that. You know, they, they need to they need to start showing the progress. And then and, and so Monday night's a really fascinating game. I think that you could kind of see it going both ways. I don't think the Giants will win, but um, I think they could come out of that game and, and, and not win and still feel pretty good about Daniel Jones. Because remember, I mean, look, that is priority number one for Pat Shermer, developing Daniel Jones. And Correct. even though the Giants did lose last week in Detroit, Jones played a pretty darn good game. Uh, the fumble being the exception, of course. Um, but uh, I think that the Giants can feel – and you sense kind of an optimism and a, almost a cheeriness from Pat Shermer this week. Not to say he should walk around being, like, suicidal after they lose a game, you know. <laughs> but, but you know, we, we appreciate when the coach is more cordial as opposed to grumpy. But, right. Um, I also got the sense when we came back here on Wednesday after that game, it almost felt like a fresh start. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on yeah. what it was. I don't know if it was the Leonard Williams trade and there was a little bit of a buzz and an energy through the building. I don't know if it's it was the fact that they kind of had an up-tempo playlist at practice that it seemed like the players were feeding off of. I don't know if it was something that came out of the players-only meeting that was held when they got off the plane from Detroit. I, I'm, I don't know what spawned it, but it almost felt like as they turned the page to the second half they're looking at this as a second season and and as much as we want to be doom and gloom on the podcast and as you know you look at the two and six record and the fact that you need to see better results and the wins need to start happening I mean again this team in my opinion and I'm sure yours Daryl isn't going to be competing for an NFC East title this year but if they win on Monday night you're three and six the Cowboys are four and four and the Eagles have a game uh, against the Chicago Bears that they could very easily lose this week Nobody's running away from it, and you yeah. would have two division victories in hand with a win over Washington and a win over the Cowboys. So if they, again, we talk about the hot seat for Pat Shermer, but if they win on Monday night and they come back and beat the Jets and you wind up going into the bye week at 4-6, uh, and six, that's a lot different than going into it at 2-8. and eight. You can kind of sense some momentum winning two in a row going into the bye week as well. It's about, as much as anything, it's about the optics of being competitive. 
Um, so I think that that's the situation the Giants find themselves in. The optics of being competitive in terms of whether that is relation in relation to a, a division that's you know fairly average to below average this season, or you know regarding Daniel Jones showing the pri- type of progress he did even in a loss. So if the Giants can give the impression to uh, John Mara, not to say it's a false impression, but just this, but the reality is you know not everything is tied to being. 10-win team, 11-win team, 9-win team even, uh, if they can show the type of progress, even if it doesn't always mean wins, uh, then then John Mara can feel good about the direction of this team. And a lot of it, uh, as we said, uh, gets back to Daniel Jones. Yeah, we've said it all along, uh, that wins and losses don't matter in this season. Again, if you're 2-8, and eight, that's a little bit different. Then they start mattering. If you're 2-14 and 14 at the end of the year and you're just not competitive, then obviously they matter. But what really matters here is the development of Daniel Jones. And you need to feel good about him taking that next step going into the second year that he can be a Carson Wentz in year two or a Jared Goff in year three or Patrick Mahomes in his second year. That you can kind of feel good about where you're headed as a franchise because of your quarterback. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the the team that you build around him because you need to see what holes you still have on this roster going into next year um, after these final eight games of the season. And I think that's one of the reasons why they might not have traded Nate Solder. I think it's one of the reasons why they didn't gut this defense where they could have easily, I shouldn't say easily, but they could have dealt Janoris Jenkins for the right price. They could have tried to deal Alec Ogletree, any of these things could have happened. But if you start gutting the defense, you start putting your quarterback in worse situations. And I don't think that's something they wanted to do, even if it might have recouped an asset for them to to build around Jones long term. That's a great point. And, uh, you know, that would be nice to ask Dave Gettleman about. But but we're not going to talk to him until what, December 31st? (laughs) Or maybe, yeah, maybe right after the season, maybe not till the combine. Maybe we'll, he'll go a full year without talking and not talk till training camp next year. So that's part of the – I know we're coming off as – just a quick aside, as griping or whining. Um, but here's the reality. If you guys are fans of the team – look, none of us take this personally. This is our job. That's it. I'm not – Matt and I are not going home and losing sleep. No offense to anybody about the Giants, okay? We have other things in our <laughs> lives. But, you know, it's our job as professional reporters – And it's sports. We get it. It's just sports. It's not the end of the world, but it's our job to press these people and hold them accountable uh, in terms of not only asking tough questions, but in terms of pressing them on making people available to give as close to the truth and these real answers and pressing these people to get real answers as we can to get to you guys. Correct. You know? It's and all about what, the fans and, and trying to get the message to the fans. And, and it's a lot different don't care when... And they think we're being whiny and they don't want to hear that, but... Yeah, but it's a lot different when you talk to 10 of us who don't have an obligation of our paycheck being signed by John Mara to put forth the team's message. We aren't paid by the Giants. We aren't team employees. You know, we want to get the honest, as close to the truth as we can, out of Dave Gettleman and out of Pat Shermer, out of the people that matter, so that the fan base who's the paying customer of the Giants understands what's really going on in these decisions. Right. And then you guys have questions that were not that are not going to be answered uh you know a lot of the same questions you guys have are what we have uh so what's the deal with jenkins why did you not deal him did you feel like you wanted to get a competitive roster out there for jones how much did jones factor into these all these questions 
Those are nuanced, normal questions. Those are not like. But they're not going to be asked torches. by a team employee. Right. And, and there, there's a difference between an independent reporter asking nuanced, specific questions than there is any time you hear anything that comes out of the team's official website or media properties because those people aren't paid to be independent employers. They are paid to put out the team's message, and that's the difference. I don't know how many people like watch the press conferences, but. I think you'd be surprised at how calm and cordial they are. I think people think we're coming at these guys with torches. Right. <laughs> you'd be surprised. Listen to the press conference. Watch it. No one's yelling. Like, this is very, you know, you it's can a ask a professional give and take. Yeah, there's, it, exactly. And the, and the GM understands that and the coach understands that. These guys aren't afraid of us per se. You know, Dave Gettleman is not afraid of the reporters on a personal level. He just doesn't. Here's the, here's the other issue. Well, he doesn't want to answer questions he doesn't have to. For whatever reasons, he f- feels like he doesn't want to come out. And the NFL does not have a policy about when general managers have to be available. I check with Bob Glauber, who's the, who does a great job at Newsday, a legendary columnist, and he's our pro football. Uh, he's the president of the Pro Football Writers Association, uh, the organization that kind of works with the NFL on maintaining access levels to, for media and stuff like that so that, you know, those of us who are in there asking real tough questions aren't frozen out. Um, and there are rules about how often players have to be available. There are rules about how often coaches have to be available, head coaches and assistant coaches. There are no rules from the NFL about how often general managers have to be available, which I, you know, I think that's problematic. I mean, these guys are important decision makers. Um, and yes, most of these, most GMs will talk a few times a year at the combine, once in training camp, after, after the, the season, draft. after the season, after the draft. So Dave Gettleman does do those things. Um, it's just a matter of there are no plans to make him available during the season, and that's that's an issue, I think, because this is when the most important stuff is happening. This and is I, when the results are happening, during the season. The GM should talk. Joe Douglas with the Jets talked after the trade deadline. It was a very eventful trade deadline for them. Guess what? The guy didn't melt into a puddle. He was just fine. And so I think... Uh, the issue here isn't just yeah. that he didn't talk because I think that if he didn't talk at all that we would also okay well he's not talking about it it'll be like every other big picture issue with this team we'll talk to Pat Shermer we'll talk to the coordinator we'll get their thoughts on Leonard Williams the issue here is that Dave Gettleman didn't speak and answer the tough questions from reporters who were trying to be the conduit for the message to get it to the fans but he spoke to the team website that is tasked with getting the team's message out there in as unfiltered a way as possible. That It's the hypocrisy of not speaking to the reporters, not speaking to the media, but putting it out your comments in a way where you can't be pressed on them through the team outlet. And to me, that's the hypocrisy here that matters. Completely agree with you. I mean, and, and is if this... you're not going to talk, don't talk. And, and I think that we can all agree that you should. But I would rather almost stick with your policy and answer for these questions and, and answer for these moves at the end of the season than to put your message out there through the filter of it being through the team. I think the 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 thing about this is it, a lot of the stuff Dave Gettleman said in that in that story uh, uh, is similar to what he would have said to us. I don't think he's obviously up there always going to be spinning his part of the narrative. That's with anyone being interviewed. They're generally going to put to put forth positive things that make themselves look good that we get that, but they're just certain questions that obviously were not asked in, in that, in the context of that story, you know, you know, certain things that he was not pressed on. And I understand, you know, team reporters are limited in their job. I have no problem with anybody 
making a living in any form or fashion of, of the media, whether you who you know whether you're an independent journalist or you're really not a journalist at all, which is paid by the team. So I, I don't know however you'd want to spin that. Well, you're basically in public relations for the team, but whatever. That's people have to make a living. I have no problem with that. There's no issue with that. Um, it's just a matter of the the, the issue being. There were no opportunities to press them on questions about all the other p- trade things. You know, Janoris Jenkins, all this stuff we talked about in the beginning about, hey, are you a little concerned here about what if Leonard Williams leaves? Then you just threw away a three out of five on, on a half-year rental for a team that's two and six. Is that an issue? Here's the other thing. Dave Gettleman says stuff when he talks. Right. We, the thing is, we're not bashing Dave Gettleman because we hate him or dislike him. I have no personal feelings to the man. I don't even know. We don't know him. You know, that's the other thing. Guy, these you know, like readers, and I'm not trying to like bash people here, but you know, they just don't understand things. And I get that because they're not in our business, but like, we don't like have any animosity toward these people on a personal level. At least you and I don't. I'm sure there are people in our business who get really angry and take this stuff personally. You can't take it personally. So none of us hate Dave Gettleman. None of us dislike him. None of that. In fact, I think he's a really interesting person to cover because he does say things. A lot of these GMs, Mike McCagden, who was a very nice man, a pleasant guy, but never said robotic. anything. He Very never robotic. said anything. Yeah. Dave Gettleman, we want to talk to him, not just because we want to, and it's part of the job, but he says stuff. Yeah, you get a glimpse he's into colorful. what he's actually thinking. Right. You he's, get a glimpse into the, yes, the direction of the franchise. Yes, and He stands by his decisions. Whether you think they're right or wrong, I think that's a, he's, a, he's an interesting guy to cover in that regard, and I think Giants fans should want to hear from a GM who's willing to you know, say stuff. And I get the results matter more than what he says. Everybody knows that, okay? Everybody gets that. But why not have the discourse? That's yeah. part of what it's part of sports and entertainment is is talking about the stuff, not just sitting on your hands and waiting for the results. Yep, no and doubt that's, about that's it. That's all I really have to. You know, and I, I know we got kind of insider baseball there for a stretch, but I think it's important, and I think it's important to, that we peel back the curtain a little bit to show fans what it's like for us on a daily basis and why it matters that these guys talk and 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 get their message out to you the fans and uh real quick Daryl, before we uh, you know get on with our day here uh quick big picture thoughts for monday night and maybe a prediction for the game yeah and and not to say we're griping about our job uh i think as bill belichick once said in a really funny julian edelman video if you guys can go find that julian edelman video online it's a hilarious story about belichick and the punchline at the end of this story i'm not gonna get into the whole story is belichick you know with edelman says to him oh coach you're here late you're working hard all night uh and Belichick turns around and says, beats being a plumber. <laughs> so, look, we're not complaining about our job. Right. It beats being a plumber. No offense to plumbers, who probably make or a lot more money. Or ditch diggers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, probably you make probably do a lot better of those financially people, than we are. Yeah, make more money than we do. It's a great job. So we're not complaining about that. Um, but that that's sort of the punctuation mark on that. Uh, and we get to talk about sports for a living. So let's talk about the game Monday night. I think, real quick... Uh, I don't even remember what the prediction was that I sent you for the predictions for this game, but I think this is the type of game the Giants will keep it close. I'm looking at probably a 10-point loss. Uh, what? I think they'll lose this game 27-17 to 17 or 27-20. to 20. I think the one thing that I'm going to really be watching is when the Giants are on defense, in addition to Leonard Williams, Daryl, it's going to be, what do they do against Mari Cooper? Because you look at Cooper the first time around, had his way with DeAndre Baker, and the Cowboys did a really nice job of isolating that matchup. It was Baker's first game. I think that He's made some great strides over the last five or six games and playing a lot better. And a lot of that's because they've simplified his role. They have Janoris Jenkins on one side, Baker on the other. I'll be fascinated, though, to see if that continues on Monday night because if if the, if Betcher and the Giants are lining Baker up on the right side of the field, 
if I'm Jason Garrett, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm putting Amari Cooper on that side and trying to isolate him one-on-one. I think this is a week where you have to go back to traveling Jenkins against the best wide receiver, even though it didn't necessarily work out well against Mike Evans. I just don't think that you can leave Baker on an island against the Cowboys and against Cooper. And if that happens, I think it could be a repeat of the opener, and that's terrible news for the Giants. I think the Cowboys win this game as well. I think that it's one of these games where, you know, you're just going to see the difference in the talent. And yes. maybe Saquon Barkley has a big day because you commit to him early and he breaks off a couple big runs. He's averaging something like six and a half yards per carry against the Cowboys in the three games against him. But the Giants, when he has 100 all-purpose yards, which he's done 21 times, they've only won six of those games. So wow. it's not wow. like it, it's not like they have been taking advantage of Barkley's production. I think that happens again Monday night, and I think it's something in the area of a, a 27 to, to 17 Cowboys win. Yep, I think that's right. Appreciate everyone letting us uh, get on our Cronkitean soapboxes there about journalism. So <laughs> journalism with a big J. Yeah. In this case. Right. Right. Exactly. So I promise we won't go into the weeds on that too much more next week. But uh, yeah, enjoy your weekend. Right, have man? a great I mean, weekend. Yeah, we, it's a Monday night. Get you're gonna to... kick back and watch Jets Dolphins. I'm sure on Sunday. Oh, Are I'm you gonna all be over glued that? to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> two, yeah. two beers yeah. in, and yeah. the wife and kid can go do their own yeah. thing. <laughs> or just rake leaves. I'm not sure which one oh, sounds better. <laughs> man. Uh, pro- probably the leaf raking, probably. and then we're going to be back Maybe here on so. Monday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, as always, he's Daryl Slater. Slater, follow him on Twitter at Daryl Slater. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter, and you can follow the show at Talk Is Cheap NYG. For Daryl Slater, I'm Matt Lombardo. Enjoy your weekend, and we will see you Monday night at MetLife Stadium and talk to you next week right here on NJ.com. <laughs>